Hello, friend. You've got mail. friend welcome to another podcast review of our favorite show mr robot i'm margaret and i'm here with henry and we're here to talk about episode 11 of season four of mr robot called exit hi henry how are you good margaret Uh, i think a lot a lot of the listeners out there, my mind is a bit blown from the episode and trying to figure out what that means. I'm having a bit of an existential crisis this week. What does it all mean? Really, what does it all mean? <laughs> yes, what does it all mean in the context of nuclear reactors, life and death, and the afterlife, potentially? What did you think of this episode? You know, what it kind of triggered a a rabbit hole sort of episode. I think one of the things about being connected online is the ability to kind of get sucked into a bit of a rabbit hole where you are able to pursue a thread of a thought fairly far down. So for me, after watching the episode, I went back and watched the first two episodes of Mr. Robot and, you know, tried to get some insight into what it all meant and and, and where we're going with the last couple of episodes. It, it was a pretty interesting mental experience. What did you conclude after doing that? I know you mentioned to me that you were, were watch, re-watching some of the earlier episodes. What were some of your conclusions? Well, I think, one, it reminded me of what an unreliable narrator Elliot is. And it was an opportunity for me to look at sort of the rules of the universe in which we're playing. So... When you go back and watch the early episodes, you sort of see the interactions that Elliot has with Mr. Robot, with Darlene, what you know you as the audience member is aware of, what Elliot himself is aware of. And you kind of get, an, uh, to me, an idea of, well, how true or consistent are we to the rules of things, right? So when I went back and watched the first episode, there were instances where people in reality were interacting with Mr. Robot, the person. Like there was one scene where there were some men across the street and Mr. Robot kind of like stumbles into them and starts interacting with them. And you just kind of wonder like, that seems to sort of break some of the rules. In in other sort of scenes, you see characters interacting with Elliot and Mr. Robot in such a way where you think, okay, well, they're interacting with Elliot in his Mr. Robot persona, that makes sense. So what kind of came clear was that there was some inconsistency there. Yeah, that's a good observation. And they did seem to play really fast and loose with that, especially earlier in the series. And then later on in the series, they tended to codify that a bit more. Uh, I think it was a really cool idea to go back and rewatch those earlier episodes and kind of see that. Uh, Was there anything else that you noticed that stood out? Or do you want to get back into the review of this episode? Well, I think a lot of the the things early on, you realize that you as an audience member are kind of being lied to or that Elliot is somewhat delusional uh, uh, about, you know, like it's not clear that we don't know that Darlene is his sister, 
early on, right? Like he pretends not to know her and he acts like, who is this crazy woman? And us as the audience kind of go along with this because that's the story that we're being told. And so it kind of made me wonder to what extent all of Mr. Robot has been some sort of fantasy or delusion after the first episode. You know, that it's basically like Alice in Wonderland. Like she goes down the rabbit hole early on in the story and everything after that is just uh, one long mythic adventure. It definitely strikes me that this could be the case, especially with some of the scenes in episode 11 that we experienced. It was really apparent how much Elliot could have been lying to us all along and all of these events could have been something that happened in his mind. He could be in a in a coma state, just dreaming this while he is in the process of dying. I mean, it could be any number of things. So that's pretty cool. I'm going to go back in myself when I have time and, and rewatch those early episodes. Because I do remember at one point, Elliot thought he might have even wanted to hook up with Darlene because he did not realize she was his sister. And, you know, that was a surprise to all of us in the audience. Now I think we've all kind of forgotten that, or that's not really top of mind when we see them interact. It's really hard to figure out where Elliot is coming from most of the time. Yeah, I think I had forgotten how mentally broken he actually was and to what extent we're sort of along for the ride with a really unreliable narrator, you know, between the first and second episode, he goes from someone who has a, a controlled drug addiction to someone who is breaking his rules for use and using more uh, than he has like suboxone for. And you start to see his therapist talk about, you know, uh, the breakdown that she sees in terms of his physical appearance and kind of getting back to old habits. And so, you know, you're already kind of seeing that he is existing in a a, a kind of disjointed reality that is a product of his mental issues from his sec- the second episode on, really. And so you just kind of wonder to what extent everything else is really also a product of a broken mind. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And one thing I liked about the episode 11, Exit, was as with this whole season, we sort of picked up where we left off at different points in the story from last week. Not only did that happen, but the direction that the story took us once again surprised me. So when we open episode 11 with White Rose, she's back in front of the mirror applying makeup. She's looking beautiful in this white dress. And we hear pounding on the door. When we last saw her, we heard things like FBI open up. And so when when we heard all that shooting and people about to enter White Rose's room, even though White Rose seemed perfectly calm, all this was happening, I thought it was the FBI coming to get her. I, I I think we even talked about that. But lo and behold, it turns out to be the Dark Army. And they pretty much slaughtered everyone who was there to get White Rose as they escorted her out of her fabulous palatial home. And we kind of get an idea of why no one really cares about Angela and Darlene, right? Um, this sort of provides some information or context as to, you know, why... 
they were just sort of content to let them go because evidently this reality doesn't matter. Well, that's a good point. I never put that together like that, but but it seems like White Rose has bigger goals in mind and she really is willing to let that all go. And she still has some kind of huge amount of power, even though she's been exposed. She no longer has any money whatsoever, or at least that's what we're led to believe, right? They've all been doxxed. All their accounts have been drained. And yet she still has the power to command these armies of people who would be willing to slaughter all these folks on her behalf. I mean... What do you think about that? Do you have any explanation for that? Maybe there are also people who have been, you know, inducted into this reality of an alternate universe where they're promised that in the afterlife or, you know, after this reality, a better one awaits, right? Kind of the equivalent of religious warriors. Yeah, maybe they are sort of members of the White Rose cult and you know, we've seen in recent news how certain figures can take on a cult-like status and gain followers where to outsiders, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. So maybe that is the case. And as White Rose is leaving her home and she's surrounded by her protectors, there's one, I guess, FBI agent or law enforcement official who's lying on the ground clearly in the process of dying, and White Rose kneels and says, you came here for Minister Zhang, Zhang is gone, there's only White Rose now. So this is her fully coming into herself and living as she really is and feels in the midst of all this carnage, of course. White Rose is a really complicated character because you definitely understand some of the things that brought her to the place she is. And yet she's a murderer. She's pretty greedy. She does manipulate people to brainwash them, as Elliot says later. So, And she doesn't really care about the consequences for much of humanity for the unfolding of her plans. She really is pretty single-minded and feels somehow that she deserves this and deserves to usher in this new world. And I, I guess there are a lot of people who probably feel like that in one way or another. But in the meantime, we cut back to Darlene and Elliot in that hotel parking lot. And that's where Dom is still waiting for them. Elliot and Darlene are saying goodbye. And Darlene says, hey, do you have any advice for a road trip? And Elliot says, I've never been on one either. And it's sort of just a reminder of how, not I don't want to say impoverished their upbringing was, but how little they got to experience certain things growing up. And maybe that's just a product of growing up in an urban setting where you don't really feel like you need to leave the city to experience a lot of things. They were hugging lots of, I love you. Elliot saying, I've been through a lot, Darlene. I thought that was pretty significant. Yeah. And, you know, here you kind of see that they're messing with the timeline a bit, right? Because what we're seeing now is behind the prior episode in the airport. So for me, a lot of the scene was kind of thinking about where this timeline was in comparison to that and the implications for this episode and the other one. I definitely think that was probably part of the intention of that. And at one point, Elliot says 
thanks for not giving up on me. Thank you for never giving up on me. So finally acknowledging how much his sister has stood by him. Although later on in Bizarro Elliot world, where Elliot is the CEO of Allsafe, Darlene doesn't even exist. He's an only child, right? So (laughs) poor Darlene, she gets screwed out of everything. But in this present world, in the world where we know Elliot and Darlene as they are, Elliot says, you know, we really pulled it off, didn't we? And Darlene's like, we sure as F did. F yeah, we did. So that might be the last time they ever see each other. Well, we'll see. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how the storyline where Darlene is leaving the airport intersects with Elliot in this, you know, alternate reality of sorts. Yeah, we will see for sure where they potentially meet up, if at all. Then we cut to Mr. Robot and Elliot in the same parking lot. And Mr. Robot is freaking out saying, Elliot, please tell me you are not going to go to Washington Township. You've got to get a grip. And Elliot says, you know, I saw what was on White Rose's computer. I can shut it down for good. And Mr. Robot's like, it's in a new nuclear power plant. And I have to tell you, this maybe isn't that funny, but every time they refer to the nuclear power plant or they show it, or later on when Elliot was in Washington Heights, I can't help but thinking of the Simpsons. (laughs) Just like, because Homer worked in a power plant. You expect there to be like Homer Homer Simpson next to some donut making machine uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, because Springfield and The Simpsons, there's like a big nuclear power plant. I haven't seen The Simpsons in forever, but I guess that vision's indelible. Elliot is convinced that the right malware can corrupt White Rose's entire system. And Mr. Robot tries to say to Elliot, but you can't possibly have that malware written, can you? It would take forever. But Elliot says, no, I have it. And I just need to get it to a terminal and plug it in. And White Rose isn't dead until her machine is. And that's where I felt like it got a little surreal again for me. How about you? Yeah, you know, the the whole scene where he walks into the building and, you know, the Christmas tree is askew and it looks like everyone has just disappeared. And then, you know, they appear and they bring him into the room. Like all of that seemed very dreamlike uh, to me. Yes, and even as Elliot is walking away from his from Mr. Robot, we see this parting shot where Elliot's mother, young Elliot and Mr. Robot are watching him walk away. And then we get into a song, Heroes and Villains by the Beach Boys, and and that plays pretty much loudly as we see Elliot taking a bus and going into Washington Township. And there's a billboard as Elliot is entering Washington Township, which shows this family, which, you know, a mom and dad, brother and sister could be referencing the Aldersons with a nuclear power plant in the background. And once again, it reminded me of the Simpsons. But this is where you were just mentioning as Elliot enters the power plant, the E-Corp power plant, he notices that everyone's dead everywhere he goes. I was just going to say, and a life tip, if you ever walk into a place and everyone's dead, turn around. Yeah, I know. It was like, he's pretty mellow seeing all these dead people. He's not really having much of a reaction. It felt like a real dream state to me again. And then how about that guy who's constantly eating food 
the one of the dark army folks we've seen him before remember him from before yeah um you know so he increases like this dreamlike element to things I did love how the E-Corp power plant is still decorated with Christmas decorations, but it's sort of like everybody's home for the holidays still, but whoever is left is dead. And the Dark Army goes to escort Elliot into this room, and we see lots of dramatic scenes of like all of these different scientists and workers just bloodied and dead against walls. And also I thought it was interesting as Elliot was entering into that chamber room to where he eventually meets White Rose, there are photos of, I guess, management, and all the faces are covered in black and white paint. Did you notice that? Yeah, and, you know, that's kind of like a theme that has been happening throughout the uh, the show, where, you know, people kind of decorate their spaces by covering up faces and things like this, right? Like Angela, I feel like Angela did this at some point. Um You know, and maybe this is all a metaphor for his unconscious and sort of going deep in his unconscious or psyche. Like, who knows? I thought it had something to do with that as well. And again, it's where I start to really wonder if this whole universe is in his mind. But I do love the choice of the Beach Boys music. And then we do finally enter into the chamber where Elliot encounters White Rose. And there's a book by Leo Tolstoy by this old-fashioned phone, rotary dial phone. And the book is called Resurrection. Kind of relevant, I suppose. And it reminded me somewhat of like a video game setup. You know, and so at one point, one of the ideas I was kicking around is like maybe Elliot is inside a simulation, you know, and we're just kind of like the way that it's going to end is going to pan out and we're going to see that this is all inside some sort of video game that someone's playing. Um, Because it had sort of that kind of closed room setup feel, right? Just like that text or kind of... uh, adventure game that Elliot's playing on that terminal, it's sort of the situation that Elliot himself finds himself in, where he's in this room and he's given a fixed set of choices in this closed environment. Oh, I think that's really interesting that you point that out. And I, I totally can see why it seems like it's, it plays like a video game, like a point and click adventure game. And one thing that it made me think of when you mentioned that is Uh, There are people who are using games to uh, train artificial intelligence. So you could be playing, I mean, like Ender's Game, right? Like that book Ender's Game where you could be playing a, you know, a science fiction space-based game. But what you're really doing is you're training the underlying artificial intelligence, um, how to do certain things or how to maneuver through certain scenarios and it might not even have anything to do with the game. It could be having to do with managing a warehouse or managing a city, for example. But it did remind me of one of those point and click adventure games because you would click on the book and you would open the book and read it. Well, first you would examine it and then you would open it and read it. Yeah, and you have this like fixed set of conditions and you have this time limit and it's like everything's going to explode unless you somehow find the right things to do. Um, and that just kind of like surreal like quality of having to discover as you go what's going on and what the rules of the universe are, right? Like this is often something some of the great games do where 
you're introduced into an environment like Day the Tentacle or Grim Fandango or things like this, where you go in and you start clicking on stuff and you start discovering the rules of the universe through the interactions that you you have along the way. Yes, and I played a VR game that is in prototype form the other day where I, I shouldn't give away the whole premise of the game. And I know it's probably a very common mechanic. The whole premise of the game was built on these puzzle rooms where you had to discover certain things about the objects you were interacting with. And the whole purpose was to make it from, from one room to the next or one mission to the next. And it was all predicated upon discovery and figuring out how all the pieces fit together or didn't in order to get through the environment. But it was in VR, which was cool, except for when I bumped my head. Which <laughs> VR is dangerous, man. Like, it's so easy to walk in walls or bump your head. I could see how people have died playing um, VR stuff. Well, when the Nintendo Wii was getting really popular, those all of those stories of the accidents related to the remote and people kind of swinging them around while they're playing those, you know, Wii Sports simulations, right? So I imagine that, you know, for VR, it's just a, a matter of time with like the lightsaber stuff and, you know, pretending to swing swords and other things like that. It's just, it's a whole other, it's a whole other can of worms with liability. Totally. I was playing Beat Saber, which which for our listeners is sort of a, a game where you're slashing, you're kind of slashing sort of a lightsaber type instrument to in time with music and in certain directions. And there's certain points where you're supposed to duck. And I ducked, but I hit my head on the table. But because it was timed with the music for like a split second, I thought it was haptic feedback. I thought it was like <laughs> built into the game. Like even though my mind knew better, it's so tricky. Yeah, I mean, people could, people could end up with uh, a punch to the face. <laughs> wow, that's a great effect. Oh, uh, <laughs> why am I bleeding? Totally, totally. But anyway, White Rose and Elliot sort of have their final confrontation. White Rose says, you know, normally I would make this interaction more formal, but it's unnecessary since we've already met. And... He, I guess White Rose has QWERTY, the fish there, and has other references to Elliot. And I believe Elliot said that his dad used to read that book, Resurrection, I think was the reference. Elliot was pretty angry and said, you know, this may have worked on Angela, the brainwashing, but it's never going to work on me. And White Rose is like, this has never been about brainwashing. The world is messed up. It's broken. I wasn't born who I was meant to be. It cost me the life I was owed and the world I deserved. And how dare you judge me, Elliot, when hatred has been your anthem. Elliot said, you know, the whole meaning of life is because people care about you in spite of everything. They don't give up on you. And that's what makes people good and this world worth it. And you don't get that white rose. So pretty dramatic interaction. Uh, I don't know. There was... You know, there are, there are great monologues and then there are monologues. And this was just, it was, it was so surreal that there was just a lot going on. You know, maybe if I rewatch it, it will seem compelling. But the, the scene was so surreal and strange and 
uh, you know, a lot going on. Also, I really enjoyed feeling like White Rose was kind of this invincible monster. And somewhere along the line, she started unraveling and she became less formidable. She got sloppy. She wasn't as on top of things. She let that assistant be sassy with her and be all salty. And that just seems so out of character for White Rose that... I wonder, I wonder what would have happened if we kept her still true to character and more formidable than she, like, she's like a wounded animal this whole, most of this season. Yeah, it's almost a devolution of a villain, right? Like White Rose goes from this very mysterious, intriguing character, almost like, oh, a more sophisticated Two-Face where... He's able to have these different sides to him and seems to really be a step ahead of everything. And then, you know, by the end of this episode, we're not even sure what White Rose is, let alone who White Rose is, right? Like, we don't even know if if White Rose, what White Rose really even is. Yeah, or if she's even real, for that matter, on any level. White Rose was ahead of Elliot in terms of saying, how did you think we found you? We knew you enacted the malware, but it didn't matter. My machine was already running. We're going to be draining the power of the plant, which means it'll cause a breach. And there's nothing to be done about it. We're going to usher in a world where we're meant to be all along. I was trying to move my project to the Congo, but you wouldn't let me. It's in Washington Township, and you're just going to have to deal. I'm going to leave it to you to decide, and then White Rose kills herself. Yeah, and and, and, and at that point, I was, I just kind of like figuratively threw my hands up in the air with like, I have no idea where this episode's going, right? Like when the episode first started, I was like, okay, you know, I I. I I kind of thought that they might start here and okay, let's see where this is going. And it goes from something where I feel like I understand where things are headed to I have no idea what sort of universe we're supposed to be in and what rules we're playing by and what sort of, you know, truth there actually is. Like what's reliable, what is not, what's real, what is not. That's completely unclear to me. On the one level, when White Rose shot herself in the head in the scene, part of me was like, obviously, is this really happening? Part of me was thinking of, I don't know if you remember the Heaven's Gate cult from the late 90s. They all thought they were going to catch a comet ride to Planet X, I think it was, the planet behind the Sirius star. I used to be slightly obsessed with them um, because they're so weird. I think they all poisoned themselves. Like, I think they put it in tapioca pudding or something like that. And it reminded me of White Rose. I'm going to send myself to a higher level. And the only way to do it is to kill myself, which is, I mean, if anyone was brainwashed, she was, if that really happened. Yeah, I mean, really, to some extent, what makes one religion weird versus another is just the number of people who believe it. We did get to one of my favorite scenes where Mr. Robot appears, even though Elliot did leave Mr. Robot behind, but he suddenly shows up in the nick of time when the power plant is about to melt down and the doors automatically lock and Elliot 
calls this weird old-fashioned rotary phone, and the number that gets spoken to in the receiver is 0509, which is the date of the, the big event. Yeah, the 5-9 hack. 0509. A lot of Easter eggs and allusions. It, it's very David Lynchian, right? Like if you've watched any of the David Lynch uh, films or Twin Peaks, the way that at a certain point right now, it seems like things are almost symbols rather than people. Yeah, I think so too. Kind of like Tron. Yeah, I, I thought that too because Mr. Robot says, you know, we, we need to get away. You have to still stop the meltdown. And then the way that Elliot responds is he finds an envelope that has the word exit on it. He inserts this old, I guess, disc into the computer. And it's one of those cool old-fashioned text-based adventure games where he's given directions like, you're trapped in a dungeon with your friend. You see a barrel. What do you do? And the first time Elliot plays it, he ends up in the new world. But then he plays it again and, and gives the opposite answers, the ones you would least, least expect. You start to escape, but your friend is too weak to go with you. Do you they hand you a note. What do you do? Elliot lights a match, and then it says, do you leave your friend or stay? And Elliot says, I stay. And that's kind of what Elliot is doing in real life with Mr. Robot. And then it's too late. The door opens, but the meltdown has proceeded. What's going on? With the meltdown, with White Rose's computer, what was there that was so amazing? Yeah, unclear. And also, if a meltdown happened, would it really look like that? Where there's flames licking at the door, but no real, like, explosion, you know? Like, my my thought was that a meltdown would, you know, be a little bit different. So it increased the surreal sort of feeling to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I increasingly think my theory is that they are some kind of artificial intelligence because the, the, the nuclear plant in and of itself feels like it's a metaphor, you know, and it's just a skin for what's going on underneath, as we might say in computer game language. <laughs> Well, I mean, th- this episode for me is the the writers and the creators really setting themselves up for a very grand finish. Whether they are able to land it is, uh, we'll see. It's like when you watch those figure skating performances where someone is like known for a particularly hard maneuver and it's unclear whether they're going to attempt it in their really key performance. And they've had a flawless performance up until you know, the last few minutes and they're kind of going into the final sweeping turn and you're like, oh, are they going to try it? Are they going to try it? And they're like, yes, they are. And now you just need to see if they're going to land it. And I feel like that's the point that we're at. Like, are they going to be able to land this or is it just going to seem really hokey and strange? Yeah. Yeah. And the season, the series finale is going to be two hours. So they have plenty of time to help us unravel what's happening here. Because once we see that Elliot and Mr. Robot have resigned themselves to the fate, Mr. Robot and Elliot tell each other, I love you, which is uh, sort of this moment of integration, I guess, for Elliot, where he's sort of embracing all of these people around him who didn't give up on him, even his imaginary, maybe imaginary friend, Mr. Robot, or 
or protector. And we think that's over. And then we end up seeing a completely different Elliot listening to Turn Up the Radio by OK Go in an entirely new, beautiful apartment that's completely refurbished. And Elliot's a different guy altogether. And I love that he listens to vinyl, like very timely and hipster. And we get to see this whole life where, like bizarro world, Elliot, where he's the CEO of All Safe. We get to see Angela again. They're getting married, which is uh, is what it is. And Elliot has a big presentation, and his presentation is for Terrell, who's like this hooded guy, troubled hooded guy. So bizarro Terrell. We're no longer talking about E Corp. It's F Corp. So everything's just a little bit off in this parallel world. In terms of impressions about uh, you know this alternate reality. One of the things I saw on Reddit was maybe there was an A Corp and a B Corp and a C Corp and a D Corp uh, and, you know, EF, right? So maybe like this kind of simulation or uh, video game sort of scenario is, you know, we're just kind of going through the number of letters. Like this is just the, you know, the next go around of things. I love that. I could totally see that. I mean, the... More and more, I feel like this is some kind of a simulation environment. And we see some old faces. So we see Ollie, right? That guy, Ollie, who's just as much of a bro as he's always been. And it was great to see Tyrell being a totally different person. Tyrelliot, they're reunited. And Tyrell's really troubled because he says, Elliot, F Corp is not only the best thing in my life, it's the best thing in everybody's life. So he's completely drinks the F Corp Kool-Aid and has these philosophical talks with Elliot. What's the worst thing about your life? And Elliot's like, oh, well, it's pretty boring, which is funny. Elliot says, I can help you, Terrell, keep F Corp safe. So who knows what that means if we'll pick up next week back in this bizarro Elliot world where everything's great. Did that surprise you, all this stuff? Uh, all of it surprised me. <laughs> you know, it wasn't really what I was expecting. Um, and it really sort of drove my interest in going back and watching the first episode because it made me think like, okay, this reality, like what did the first season look like? And how does that map into this other reality, right? And it really is sort of a bizarro sort of reality. Um, the Terrell that you see in this alternative reality is the Terrell that was, you know, walking in the snow talking about how he wished that he didn't care what other people thought and he wouldn't have to care about how he looked and would dress a different way. In this other reality, the Terrell that we see is the Terrell that, you know, the other Terrell wished he was. And so part of this to me is to what extent are these other people in this reality like NPC characters or actual, you know, real characters, right? Like, is this other Terrell also a co-conspirator with Elliot and somehow somehow can be activated and turned into an ally? Or is he, you know, completely asleep? Yeah, it's going to be so cool to see how this gets wrapped up uh, next week when we finally have what I think is going to be a lot of... Uh, explanation of what we've been witnessing. I love that there's this one point where 
Elliot and his dad, because Elliot's dad is alive in this bizarro Elliot world, and Darlene doesn't exist in this world. Angela's there. Angela's mother is still alive. Elliot's father seems like he's doing well financially. They have lunch and a beer together, and Elliot has a special gift for Angela, which is a special edition of a book called from the mixed-up files of Mrs. Basil E. Franklinweiler, which I gather has a lot of symbolism in terms of the story. In that book, it's about a brother and sister who run away from home because they think their parents don't appreciate them. And I'm sure if we read this book, it seems like Sam Esmail takes bits and pieces from his favorite books and movies. There were a lot of references to Lolita We saw this reference to the book Navikov. We saw references earlier in the series to William Carlos Williams' Red Wheelbarrow. But I thought that was a really nice touch. It also inspires me to want to go in and read these books as well. But Elliot's the perfect groom. He's really excited to marry Angela. He got the F Corp deal. And everything's fine. Although it is interesting throughout that Bizarro Elliot, happy, all-safe Elliot, seems to have these migraines plague him, which you have to wonder what's going on there, right? Well, in Star Trek land, that often means that the person is in some sort of mind control, uh, you know, uh, illusion, and somehow his native psyche is rebelling against the mind control illusion in place. Like there's a number of, of Star Trek episodes where this is the uh, sort of rule is that if you're being mind controlled and someone is messing with your reality, you will get headaches. So if any of you out there are suffering from migraines, it could be that you're in an alternate reality. <laughs> That's a good point. That's really funny. And I do love Star Trek and Star Trek trivia. But yeah, so they make it pretty pronounced that Bizarro Elliot has these ongoing headaches. And and also at one point, there was reference to an earthquake in Washington Township. So in this world, instead of a nuclear meltdown, there was an earthquake. So some parallels... But the kicker of all kickers is Elliot enters his fabulous apartment and then he sees his doppelganger, the Elliot we know, the hoodied, morose, troubled, his life is anything but boring Elliot. And that was the end of season four, episode 11 called Exit. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, so to me, that other Elliot could either be the Elliot that actually somehow came through whatever portal or whatever. Um, That's the actual Elliot, and the Elliot that we've been observing is the Elliot that kind of belongs to this other reality. Like, that's one thing. Or that hoodie Elliot is somehow uh, a mental projection, the same way that Mr. Robot is, and... You know, it's his psyche sort of manifesting uh, opposition to this reality that he's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One way or another, it's pretty disturbing for Bizarro Elliot to see this 
person who looks just like him, only much more morose, sitting there. So I will savor the final two hours of this series when we see it for all of these answers. Did you have any other impressions about this scene or the show that we should talk about? Mm, you know, I, I just had, uh, you know, this... I, I very much encourage anyone, everyone listening to this to go back and watch the first couple episodes because you kind of will go through a mental experience and journey knowing what you have experienced so far that allows you to view the past things through a different lens and it gives you an idea of what rules or non-rules there really are in this universe that we're occupying yeah i'm gonna do that myself and what about predictions do you have any predictions that will unfold next week uh you know for error 412 is preconditioned failed right so uh, uh, according to Mozilla, it's a client error response code indicates that re- access to the target resource has been denied. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see how that exactly plays out. Like, we'll, we'll, to me, the writers have set themselves up for a very audacious task to try to land this in a graceful, satisfying way um, or to leave things in a way where people are sort of left scratching their heads. Mhm. Mhm. I'm going to go out on the limb and say I don't think Elliot has been alive for quite some time. Or he's been in some kind of state like a coma or or um maybe a dream state, but I think he's not really there. And I think all of this stuff is him sort of working out whatever he's working out in his subconscious. Yeah, I mean, there have been a number of somewhat successes, if you look back at the show, where, you know, he's hacked something, or he's taken down E-Core, or he's taken down the Deus group, where he's accomplished his objective, and yet somehow, like, things don't quite work out for him, right? And so... You know, to a certain extent, I wonder to what extent, to the, whether those things are metaphors for somehow breakthroughs or somehow attempts to reconcile psychic things that don't quite pan out or work out. And I do think Darlene is real. I think she's probably one of the only real things in this whole series. Like, I could see her still trying to reach him. Maybe Angela's still around, too, in whatever alternate reality exists outside of Elliot's unreliable presentation of things. I'm really excited and sad at the same time. Do you have any other predictions that you wanted to talk about or should we move on to what would you rather? Do you have one for this week? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, what would you rather? Would you rather have a, a old fashioned photograph or a really high quality digital? Oh, I think high quality digital copy, even though I think a lot about what would happen if there's a zombie apocalypse and we lose everything. <laughs> uh, How about you? You know, I, I think about this now because it's not so much just for myself, but for like any children or things like this. Like what's what's the archival format that one should choose, right? Like I think people have talked about this a little bit with digital archives and whether or not you know how 
people should archive things and whether or not that's an important thing to do. I think there's an idea that somehow it's important to do this with photos and people's scrapbook and things like this. But I think we're really the first generation that's trying to figure out how to do this in a way that is somehow satisfying uh, later on. And I think probably AI is going to play some large role in it, like something that you just connect to your your files that somehow filters out everything in a way that can be presented to your children or other relatives in a way that seems meaningful. Well, that's a good point. I mean, pretty soon it'll be like we're all holograms, right? Like that'll be the recreation of family memories. It'll probably be like 3D holograms where you go into a, a VR environment and you can... Uh, maybe I've been watching too much Watchmen, <laughs> but you can like interact with your ancestors somehow. Well, I mean, think about Samuel L. Jackson now being an Alexa voice option, right? And if you're a relative of Samuel L. Jackson, like you can continue to interact with Samuel L. Jackson in some sort of way, like far beyond his passing. That's got to be a little bit strange. And, you know, if you somehow then enable a voice to have access to certain archive data, then you can have it answer questions like, you know, what color, what was your favorite color? Like, where did you spend uh, your university years? Like, tell me a story or something like this. Like, you can do start doing, like, very basic things at a certain point with uh, existing technology. I think it's a really important question and something people really ought to all think about. You know, I, my father passed away a few years ago, as you know, and uh, we have his recorded voice somewhere. I think it's on old VHS tapes, and I obsess every now and then about finding those tapes and getting those transferred so I have something of my father's voice because at this point it's... I remember in my head what he sounds like, but I have no actual recording. So it's important for people to think about this stuff. It's a very good what-would-you-rather question. Yeah, and I every once in a while you hear stories about people like saving uh, a, you know, a race, like a video game kind of playthrough that uh, their deceased loved one did, like you know, so they can virtually race against their, their dad or their brother or things like this. You know, they'll kind of... Re- like record gameplay and and use that to and so they're basically interacting with the simulation right like they're interacting with something that person has done before uh in a virtual environment and using that to somehow interact with uh someone who's gone that's giving me some food for thought that's that's pretty cool my what would you rather is a lot more superficial (laughs) What would you rather, if you were going on a vacation, would you rather be somewhere that's on a beach uh, or somewhere in the middle of world-class city? I would probably rather be in beach and nature. And I think partly that's because if I am in a place that's like a bustling city, I feel a duty to go explore and do things. Me too. I would like to be somewhere immersed in a natural setting, far away from people, and somewhere just uh, unique and gorgeous. Actually, there's this place I discovered in Argentina. There's this 
Glacier Park. I forget the full name of it. I think it might be Glacier Park. And the it's it's like alpine mountains on steroids. It's the most incredible images I've seen. And I used to see the images when I would do my treadmill at my old gym. <laughs> oh, I'd like to be there now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, every every winter time, uh, you sound like a typical New Yorker around this time of year. Like New Yorkers in December, you know, start talking about traveling in tropical islands the the way that someone in hot weather talks about cold drinks. I'm so grateful that you are still in there with me talking about Mr. Robot. I'm grateful to our listeners. Thank you so much, Henry, for talking about episode 11 of season four. It's been really fun. Yeah, I look forward to talking with you about the next one. Bye. Me too, Henry. And thanks a lot. And you have a great night, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.